All right, a brief word before we get started. This brief word is to ask you for your help. So in 2014, Ascension began producing digital content with which you are familiar. So YouTube videos and podcasts and articles. And since then, it's only ramped up. The purpose of this content is to help you grow in your faith and to give you resources to help others do the same. Uh, so it's like every week there are 18 videos and podcasts released, which are a kind of expose of the truth, the goodness, the beauty of God and of his church and of his sacraments and of all those things that he puts at our disposition to grow in the knowledge and love of him. So while this content is free to consume, it is not free to make. So we're asking you to consider making a financial gift to help offset some of the costs of production associated with you know, Ascension Presents YouTube channel and Bible in a Year, this podcast, other things besides. So if you or someone you know has benefited personally from Ascension's work, please consider making a gift. Any amount is truly appreciated and will go towards production costs and all that's associated with that. So to make a gift, please visit ascensionpress.com support or click the link in the description. Again, that is ascensionpress.com support. I feel like the cantor at the beginning of Mass. Welcome. Today is the 33rd Sunday in Ordinary Time. Our celebrant is Father Gregory, and you can find your opening hymn at 876. Again, that's 876. No, it's ascensionpress.com slash support. So whether you're able to support uh, the work financially or not, please keep the entire Ascension team in your prayers as they continue to do the work of God. And as, yeah, things just keep going further up and further in to the glory that awaits us all. All right, prayers for you. Please pray for us. Cheers. Hi, I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And I'm Father Gregory Pine. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season, we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension, this season, we're reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text INTRO to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. This is Day 30. Today we'll be reading Part 3, Certain Counsels for the Practice of the Virtues, Chapter 38, pages 339 through 347 in the Ascension edition of this book. Before we get into the reading then, here's what is coming up in this chapter. Since the first pages of this book, St. Francis has insisted on the fact that the devout life is not an exclusive call. It's not reserved for certain vocations or certain states in life, and it's not reserved for a sort of spiritual elite. Each of us, in virtue of our baptism, the graces that we received in the sacrament, are called to the devout life, to a life of holiness, and to intimacy with Christ. In this chapter, St. Francis offers advice for married people, how best to live the devout life in the context of family life, of married life. Before we get to the reading, let's say a prayer. Grant us grace, O merciful God, to desire ardently all that is pleasing to thee to examine it prudently, to acknowledge it truthfully, and to accomplish it perfectly, for the praise and glory of thy name. Amen. Chapter 38. Counsels for Married People Matrimony is a great mystery. 
It is honorable for all, in all, in everything, that is, in all its parts, to all, because even virgins must honor it with humility, in all, because it is equally holy in the rich and the poor, and yes, indeed, in all its parts, because its origin, end, advantages, form, and matter are all holy. Marriage is the nursery of Christianity, replenishing the earth with faithful souls to complete the number of the elect in heaven. Thus, the preservation of marriage is of utter importance for the commonwealth, for it is the origin and source of all its streams. May it please God that his most beloved son be invited to all marriages, as he was to that of Cana. Then the wine of consolations and blessings would never run short. Commonly, it is scarce at the beginning, for Adonis is invited instead of Jesus Christ, and Venus instead of his blessed mother. He who wishes that his flock be filled with a beautiful and bespeckled offspring like Jacob must gather them and place beautiful and colored staves before their eyes. So too, he who wishes for a happy marriage should, in his espousals, place before his mind the holiness and dignity of the sacrament. But alas, instead of this, there are a thousand disorders committed in diversions, feasting, and immodest discourse. No wonder, then, if disorders result in the married life. Above all things, I exhort married people to that mutual love so highly recommended by the Holy Spirit in Scripture. O you who are married, it is nothing to tell you to love each other with a natural love, for the turtle doves do that, nor to say love one another with a human love, for the heathens do so. But I say to you, after the great apostle, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, and wives, love your husbands as the church loves her Savior. God was the one who brought Eve to our first father Adam and gave her to him as his wife. God also, O my friends, was the one who with his invisible hand has tied the knot of the holy bond of marriage and given you to one another. Why do you not then cherish each other with a love that is holy, consecrated, and divine? The first effect of this love is the indissoluble union of your hearts. Two pieces of fur are glued together with good glue. They cleave so strongly to each other that you may sooner break the pieces in any other place than where they were joined. However, God joins husband and wife by his own blood. Thus, this union is so strong that the soul would sooner separate from the body than husband from wife. But the union meant here is not principally bodily, but rather of the heart, affection, and love. The second effect of this love should be the inviolable fidelity of each spouse to the other. Seals were in old days graven upon rings worn on the fingers, as scripture itself testifies. This explains the meaning of the ceremony which takes place in marriage. The church, by the hand of the priest, blesses a ring, and giving it first to the man testifies that she puts a seal upon her heart by the sacrament, that henceforth neither the name nor the love of any other woman may enter therein, so long as she who has been given to him lives." Afterwards, the bridegroom puts the ring on the hand of his bride so that she may understand that her heart likewise must never admit any affection for any other man, so long as he whom our Lord here gives to her for a husband shall live upon earth. The third fruit of marriage is the lawful procreation and education of children. It is a great honor to you that are married that God, in his designs to multiply souls to bless and praise him for all eternity, enables you to cooperate with him in so noble a work by the production of the bodies into which he infuses, like heavenly drops, immortal souls, as he indeed creates them when infusing them into the body. 
Therefore, O husbands, preserve a tender, constant, and cordial love for your wives. For the woman was taken from that side of the first man which was nearest to his heart, so that she might be loved by him with warm and tender affection. The weaknesses and infirmities of your wives, whether in body or mind, must never provoke you to any kind of disdain, but rather must furnish a chance to express your sweet and affectionate compassion, since God has created them such, so that since they depend on you, you should receive more honor and respect from them, and likewise so that in your companionship you nevertheless should be their heads and superiors. And you, O wives, love with a tender and heartfelt affection the husbands whom God has given you, though with a respectful love that is full of reverence. For thus indeed did God create them as a sex that is more vigorous and predominant. Indeed, he was pleased to ordain that the woman should depend on the man, being a bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, and that she should be made of a rib taken from under his arm, thereby showing that she should be under the hand and guidance of her husband." And all of Holy Scripture strictly commends to you this subjection, which, at the same time, it makes pleasant for you, not only prescribing that you should accept it lovingly, but also commanding your husbands to exercise it with great affection, tenderness, and gentleness. Husbands, says St. Peter, live considerately with your wives, bestowing honor on the woman as the weaker sex. However, while I exhort you to continually advance in this mutual love that you owe to one another— Beware lest it denigrate into any kind of jealousy, for it often happens that just as the worm breeds in the most delicate and ripe part of the apple, so too jealousy grows where the love of married people is most ardent and violent, which nevertheless it spoils and corrupts, breeding there by hidden degrees strife, dissension, and divorce. But jealousy never arises where friendship on both sides is grounded on solid virtue. Therefore, when such jealousy arises, it is an infallible mark that love here is some way sensual and crass. Thus, in this case, the spouses are only imperfect and inconstant in their virtue, thereby finding themselves open to the possibility of lacking trust in each other. It is an empty show of friendship trying to strengthen itself through such jealousy, for jealousy is indeed a sign of the greatness and oversized character of the friendship but never of its goodness, purity, and perfection, since the perfection of friendship presupposes surety that those whom we love are virtuous, and jealousy presupposes that we doubt it. If you desire, O husbands, your wives to be faithful to you, then let them learn the lesson from your own example. What standing, says St. Gregory of Nazianzus, do you have for exacting modesty from your wives when you yourselves live immodestly? How can you require them to give something that you do not give them? Do you wish them to be chaste? then behave chastely toward them. And as St. Paul says, let every man know how to possess his vessel in sanctification. But if, on the contrary, you yourselves teach them not to be virtuous, then it is no wonder that you are disgraced by their fall. However, O wives, whose honor is inseparably joined with purity and modesty, zealously preserve this which is your glory, and allow no kind of dissolute behavior to tarnish the white purity of your reputation. Fear all kinds of assaults, be they ever so small. Never allow any flattery to come near you. Whoever offers to praise your beauty or grace should be held in suspicion by you. For he who praises the wares that he cannot buy is strongly tempted to steal them. However, if to your praise he adds some critiques of your husband, then he insults you greatly. For in that case, it is quite clear that he not only has a mind to ruin you, but believes that you are already half ruined, for a bargain is half made with the second merchant when one is dissatisfied with the first. Once upon a time, as well as now, ladies were accustomed to wear a number of pearls in their ears. 
Pliny said they did this for the pleasure of hearing them jingle as they touched one another. However, for my own part, for I know that Isaac, the great friend of God, sent earrings to the chaste Rebecca as the first pledge of his love, I believe that this symbolic ornament signifies that the ears are the first part of the wife belonging to a husband, so that she should keep them faithfully for him, such that the only language or sound that should enter there should be the sweet and pleasant music of chaste and pure words, which are the oriental pearls of the gospel. Let us always remember this capital truth. Souls are poisoned by the ear just as the body is by the mouth. Love and fidelity joined together always beget familiarity and confidence. Therefore, saints often caressed each other in marriage, caresses that were truly amorous, yet pure, tender, yet sincere. Thus, Isaac and Rebekah, the most chaste married couple of ancient times, were seen through a window caressing one another, and with no immodesty they led Abimelech to be convinced that they had to be man and wife. The great St. Louis, who was equally rigorous to his own flesh and tender in the love of his wife, was almost blamed for how abundantly he caressed his wife, though indeed he instead deserved praise for being able to bring his marital and courageous spirit to stoop to these little offices, so required for the preservation of conjugal love. For although these little demonstrations of pure and frank affection do not bind hearts together, nonetheless they draw them closer together and serve as a fitting ornament to shared communion. Before giving birth to the great St. Augustine, St. Monica expressed frequent offerings of her son, dedicating him to the Christian religion and to the service and glory of God, as he himself witnesses, saying that he had already tasted the salt of God in his mother's womb. Here we have a great lesson for Christian women. Offer up to his divine majesty your offspring, even before they come into the world, for God accepts the offerings of a humble and willing heart and regularly seconds the desires of mothers. Consider the cases of Samuel, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Andrew of Fiesole, and many others. St. Bernard's mother, herself deserving of such a son, as soon as her children were born, used to take them in her arms and offer them up to Jesus Christ. From then onward, she loved them with respect as consecrated things entrusted to her by God, and so great was the outcome for her that all seven grew to be very holy. However, after children have come into the world and begin to have the use of reason, both their fathers and mothers must take great pains to imprint the fear of God upon their hearts. The good Queen Blanche fervently fulfilled this duty for her son, the great King St. Louis, for she often said to him, I would much rather, my dear child, see you die before my eyes than to see you commit a single mortal sin. This remained so deeply engraven upon his soul that, as he himself related, not one day of his life passed without him remembering it and taking all possible care to observe this divine teaching. In our language, families and generations are called houses, and even the Hebrews called the generating of children the building up of a house, for this is what is meant when it is said that God made houses for the midwives of Egypt. Now this shows that to raise a house or family does not consist in storing up worldly goods, but rather in rearing children in the fear of God and in virtue. In this task, no pains or labor should be spared, for children are the crown of their mother and father. Thus, St. Monica fought with such fervor and constancy against the evil inclinations of her son, St. Augustine, that, having followed him by sea and land, she more truly formed him as the child of her tears through conversion of his soul than she had fashioned him as the child of her blood through birth. St. Paul leaves the care of the household to wives as their particular portion. For this reason, many think with truth that their devotion is more profitable to the family than that of the husband. For given that he does not reside so ordinarily among the members of the household, he therefore cannot so easily spend time leading them to virtue. 
Along these lines, Solomon in his Proverbs states that the happiness of the whole household depends on the care and industry of the strong and virtuous woman whom he describes. In Genesis, it is said that Isaac, in response to the barrenness of his wife Rebekah, prayed to the Lord for her, or according to the Hebrew, prayed to the Lord before her, because people prayed on the two sides of one's prayer room, so that this husband's prayer made in this manner was heard. Such union of husband and wife in holy devotion is the greatest and most fruitful of all. They should mutually encourage each other along to this end and draw each other toward it. There are fruits such as the quince, which, because of the harshness of their juice, only taste good if they are made into preserves, and others such as cherries and apricots that, because of their tenderness, cannot be long kept unless they too are preserved. So too, Wives must wish for their husbands to be preserved with the sugar of devotion, for a man without devotion is a kind of animal, severe, harsh, and rough. And husbands, for their part, must wish for their wives to be devout, because without devotion a woman is very frail and subject to fall from virtue or to decline in it. St. Paul says the unbelieving husband is consecrated through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is consecrated through her husband. For in this close covenant of marriage, one party may easily draw the other to virtue. But what a blessing it is when the man and wife, both being believers, sanctify each other in the true fear of God. As to the rest, their mutual forbearance should be so great that they should never be both angry with each other at the same time, so that there never be dissension or dispute between them. Bees cannot remain in a place filled with echoes or rebounding voices, nor can the Holy Spirit remain in a house filled with clamor, strife, oppositions, and altercations. St. Gregory of Nazianzus remarked that in his days married people held a feast on the anniversary of their wedding day. For my part, I would approve of the introduction of this custom, so long as it were not accompanied by worldly and sensual recreations, but rather would involve the husband and wife confessing and receiving communion on that day, praying to God with more than usual fervor that their marriage may continue on and progress happily. Let them renew their good resolutions to sanctify it evermore through mutual love and fidelity, drawing new breath, as it were, in our Lord, so that they may all the better bear the duties of their vocation. Through this chapter, as we've just heard, St. Francis offers advice for living the holy life in the context of marriage. I guess, I don't know, sometimes I think it's an easy straw man, like an easy thing to beat up on to say, well, in our day and age or society, but it's true that like in our day and age and our society has lost the appreciation for the greatness and the beauty and the dignity of marriage. So I guess maybe we should start by saying just a few words about that, like, you know, why and how is marriage conducive to holiness? Maybe a few words about the vocation to marriage. Yeah. Maybe lay some of the foundation for us. Yeah. So of the seven sacraments, marriage is the only one that in a certain sense antedates our Lord because it's a natural institution before it's raised to the dignity of a sacrament. And, you know, as St. Francis de Sales describes in this chapter, our Lord blessed the wedding feast of Cana with his presence, but then with a particularly abundant gift of wine, which shows that he joins in the happiness of married persons, but also that he makes it a kind of wellspring of grace. So what happens is, you know, in the Western tradition, a man and a woman by their consent make the marriage in the context of the Catholic Church. It's done in the presence of the minister and two witnesses, but by their consent, they become to each other a sign of sanctity. So a sacrament, like we have said in previous episodes, is a sign of a sacred thing which makes men holy. So it causes grace as a sign. 
And what is the sign that is available in the sacrament of marriage? Well, it's the sacrifice of the spouses for each other. And here we think about that passage from Ephesians 5, which is quoted in this chapter, about how, you know, you're to be subordinated to each other in love of Christ effectively. So there's a kind of mutual subordination, albeit a differentiated one, in the context of the sacrament of marriage, such that by their love of each other and of their family, a man and a woman become to each other a sign of sanctity. And just simply so-called, they, they sanctify each other through their love, through their consent, through their sacrifice which is, as St. Francis begins the chapter, a really marvelous thing. Yeah, and two of the, or the two sort of ends, the two things at which marriage is aimed, um, one is the good of the spouses, and the, and the second is the education, or the procreation first, I guess, <laughs> an education of children. So if we consider even just the first, right, that, that marriage exists, marriage, the this, this sacramental graces given in marriage exist for the good of the spouses, for the good of husband and wife, and ultimately for the highest good, namely to help get one another to heaven. So marriage in itself is oriented to that. And in marriage, you know, comes the second end of marriage, the procreation and education of, of children, that the love and the, the sacrifice that that husband has and makes for wife and vice versa, you know, necessarily results in the, the bringing about of, of new life. So there's a real sort of like, I don't know, the word fecundity came to mind, but that's a real, uh, a weird word sometimes, but there's a real fecundity, a real sort of life-giving reality to marriage, both in the spiritual realm and world and also in, in the earthly with bringing new life. One thing that I like to point out or that I think is important for us to realize or recognize again with marriage is with, like with all vocations, vocations carve out the space in our lives so as to pursue charity and holiness with a sort of abandon, with a freedom. Um, if we think here of marriage, you know, when man and woman exchange consent and are married, there's no longer a question about whether or not, you know, the Lord is is working in their lives in the context of, of the marriage bond so as to make them holy. It happens and it continues to happen. Um, so that, that sort of like what if factor is totally removed. You know, that doesn't make always marriage easy or simple or that sort of thing, but we know that like the sacramental grace is at work and in that there's a freedom there. And we could see that too alive in, uh, you know, in how St. Francis describes or gives this advice for married couples that a married, a relationship presumes upon this freedom to pursue Christ together, this freedom to sacrifice for one another together so as to chase after Christ. So I guess in, in sort of hearing what St. Francis says about marriage, some of the advice that he gives um, to pursue the devout life, were there any that sort of like stood out to you, Father Gregory, or any things that you think are like practical tips for pursuing the devout life. I guess I'll say one more thing before I stop my ramble is that like in many ways the married life people in the world seem to be the audience of what St. Francis is, is is trying to propose throughout the book and less so the religious because the religious has a lot more freedom for spiritual things whereas the married person has less given their obligations. So I think this is an important chapter for us, you know, for a lot of people who are listening to to pay attention to and to consider. So yeah, now you can answer the question that I posed and then didn't let you answer Father Gregory. <laughs> Yeah, I think, um, you know, you highlighted these, what are referred to in the tradition as the two ends of marriage. And the way that it's sometimes described is like the first, the mutual support of the spouses is like the shape of marriage. And then the procreation and education of children is like the goal of marriage. Uh, one of the ways that marriage is described in the tradition is as greatest friendship, right? So that ultimately what one ought to see in marriage 
is a mutual love that begets a genuine communion of goods. So you'll hear marriage sometimes described as a comprehensive sharing of life. So you share your physical life, you share your emotional life, you share your psychological life, you share your spiritual life. There are certain things that you don't share in all modesty, but you share practically everything. It's comprehensive. And the idea there is that not you kind of complete each other in a crass Hollywood type way, but that you give wholly of yourself so that in making a sacrifice of yourself to your spouse, you're effectively making it to God uh, because that's what God has asked of you. And that's how God has kind of communicated his will for loving him in return. And so, you know, like a lot of these exhortations that we come across in this chapter, we find St. Francis de Sales encouraging spouses to reinvest in the relationship or to kind of double down. You know, there are going to be occasions or temptations to hold something back, right? To fear a certain vulnerability, to be unwilling, you know, to heal uh, past transgressions or to be unwilling to open old wounds that haven't actually closed up in a good way. Uh, but he's saying, nope, you got to lean back into it because that's the way in which the grace is released. And it's ultimately for, for just this grace that we have come. So yeah, it's just very sensible exhortation from St. Francis de Sales for married couples who might be overwhelmed, you know, or might be dispirited at the present moment. Yeah. And in a whole host of other places throughout the book, um, we've talked about the way by which small things add up really, right? And kind of shape who we are and what we do. We've talked about it a few episodes ago with with speech and sort of slander and how these little habits can can really corrupt both us and ruin other people's lives. Uh, just this last or the last episode, we talked about persevering in small things and how that's like the 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 battleground for holiness or the where holiness is made um, saint francis de sales returns to that point in this chapter too and i found that to be yeah well i'm not married so it's like what is you know how do i find it for my own life i don't know but i find it to be really great advice when he says to sort of shrink back from like little things you know to like bear one another well and I imagine it's it's certainly the case in religious communities where you're living with the same people day in and day out that little things become big things in your mind, you know, like the way somebody walks or breathes or you know talks or whatever. They they become they can become like deal breakers in relationships. So I think it's it's wise, very wise of St. Francis to call that out to challenge us to like look again to challenge married couples to look again at like what are the little nuisances that are that are real and sort of inevitable in those relationships and how do we handle them you know how are they being handled are they things that um, we kind of dwell on that you dwell on that you keep with you that define the relationship or are they are you able to pass over them are you able to talk about them are you able to bear them well it's i think it's a good point it's a tough point i'm not you know that's certainly not me saying or saint francis saying get over it, you're a bad person. You know, he recognizes the difficulty in it, but it's also worth, yeah, re-looking at, reinvesting, and as Father Gregory was saying. So anything else stand out to you in that, in that sort of way of like, ah, yeah, that's actually super helpful, kind of a challenge, but can be helpful. Yeah, I, um, no, it's such, I mean, just reading these things, you imagine all the different ways in which a marriage can break down, uh, which is a terrible prospect to contemplate, but a very real one especially in the 21st century when many marriages do fail. Uh, and you think like, what is it that differentiates between a marriage that passes through difficult times on the way towards 
you know, the ongoing sanctification of the spouses and one that is unable to bear, you know, those blows or is unable to sustain the love in the midst of difficult times. And I think it's, you know, like a kind of rootedness or groundedness in love as you, as you highlighted it. Um, I think I added an extra D to highlight it. So that makes it highlighted it. Um, but I'll just keep using that and make it seem very, very intentional. Um, and so insofar as we are given to the Lord, it's paradoxically the case, uh, which means to say it's very strangely the case or unexpectedly the case that we are more capable of giving ourselves to each other because, yeah, we're just accustomed to think in somewhat crassly materialistic or reductionistic terms. Like if I give half of myself to whoever over here, then I only have half of myself left to give to whomever over here. But that's just not the case with the Lord. The Lord asks us to give of our whole heart's love to him. And what we find in return is that we have more to give to others. So marriage is just give, 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 sacrifice, give, sleep, barely, give, die, wake up again, give, nurse children, give, don't sleep, give. And at a certain point, you're just going to run out. You're just going to run out unless you're drawing richly from the source of every good and perfect gift, who is the father of light, which is to say, God Almighty, who has infused the sacrament with his promises. And those promises are indeed true. So yes, encouragement highlighted it. Perfect. I think that's great. All the D's <laughs> there. Really, it really emphasizes. Um, usually people emphasize things by saying things louder or with like greater emphasis. But you know, if you just add final consonants, it changes everything. So why add anything more? Um, it's great. We're going to talk a bit more about married life in the next chapters that we read together too. So we'll revisit these ideas. But for today, we'll, we'll leave you with that. Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, to download the reading plan and support the production of this podcast, please visit ascensionpress.com slash Catholic Classics. As always, know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we will catch you next time on Catholic Classics. Thank you.